Well, how many in here have heard of the woman by the name of Lilius Trotter? Anyone? I'm willing to go out on a limb and bet that not many people in this room are familiar with Lilius, but if you give me just a few minutes, you might be surprised to learn that you are a little bit more familiar with her than you might have initially thought. You see, Lilius was this woman who was born in the 1800s, and she was in England at the time, living her life rather comfortably as an artist when she felt this calling over her life to move to northern Africa as a single woman to venture out into the desert and to witness to mystic and Sunni Muslims. So just imagine this woman in the 1800s, single lady, doing something not many people would have done at that time, giving up her life of comfort for a calling. And actually, her ministry was quite effective. She wrote a lot of poignant words. One of the quotes that I find moving is one I'm going to read to you right now. And it goes as following. Never has it been so easy to live in half a dozen harmless worlds at once. Art, music, social science, games, motoring, the following of some profession, and so on. And between them, we run the risk of drifting about the good, hiding the best. It is easy to find out whether our lives are focused, and if so, where the focus lies. Where do our thoughts settle when consciousness comes back in the morning? Where do they swing back when the pressure is off during the day? Dare to have it out with God and ask him to show you whether or not all is focused on Christ and his glory. Turn your soul's vision to Jesus and look at him. And a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. Now you might be thinking, oh, that sounds a little bit familiar. Well, those were the words that inspired the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Now some of you are going, ah, okay, okay, so I know that hymn. And you can probably be singing that hymn in your head right now. And if you're like me, you grew up singing that hymn in church. And it became a favorite to many. And it spoke for so many years. But the thing is, she was a hundred years ahead of her time. Because she said, never has it been so easy to live in half a dozen harmless worlds at once. And that was before the virtual world that we call social media. There are so many things competing for our time, our effort, our money, our energy, and so many of these pursuits that we have actually make us feel like we're competing with one another. But that is never what God designed for our lives. All of these pursuits are not the best. Mm -hmm. So I think about Paul too, right? And how he, like Lilius, he left a life of comfort, But then even beyond that, he found himself in prison, like we're going to be reading about later on, and how from prison, he could have so easily just, ah, what's the use? What's the point? You know, we've been discussing this for the past several Sundays about how he could have easily just said, I'm I'm just going to sit in my complacency. What's the point? I can't even move around and do what I was called to do anymore. He could have been discouraged. He could have been angry. Why am I in prison? But no, instead he said, rejoice in the Lord. And he wrote back to the people of Philippi, encouraging them even. And I can say like in our life, I am honored that I am not a single woman like Lilius. He's not a single person like Paul. We actually get to share this platform together, which I'm so honored. And something that I hope that our life speaks, just like Lilius' life spoke, just like Paul's life spoke, is that the greatest purpose in our life is not found in earthly pursuits, not even in marriage. 
Even though God designed this to be a reflection of him, he is actually who designed it and he is what is greater. And so I leave you with this opening comment. Contentment is not complacency, but a deep trust in God's sovereignty and provision. Absolutely. And so Paul, in our text today, he starts out by saying this in verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, if you didn't know, uh, back then, if you went into the prison system, you were completely on your own. Um, the government wasn't going to make sure that you had three square meals a day. They weren't going to make sure that you had water. They weren't going to make sure that you got a few hours of sunlight every single day. You were literally on your own. You had to make sure yourself was fed. You had to make sure you had water to drink. And if you'd want it, you had better come up with a way to get it. Or you'd better hope and pray that your family and your friends and your loved ones that you knew, you better pray that they still cared enough about you uh, to send you some supplies to help you get through your time in prison. So here you got Paul. He's talking to the Philippian church, which is hundreds of miles away from where he's at in prison. And he's like, look, guys, I, I'm, I'm so happy that you guys sent me uh, EPAP and you sent me some supplies. And that was really great. I knew you guys were concerned and maybe you had some difficulties leading up to then uh, because of the distance. But you guys renewed your concern for me. Now, I read this and initially I thought, well, that's a really weird way to word that, Paul. They renewed their concern from you, for you. Well, what, do you? what do you mean by that? But if you actually go back two or three books to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he writes this to the Corinthians. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, which would have included the Philippians. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. Now, with that context and, and uh, the text that we're reading today, we probably could have made this a generosity message and talking about how you need to live your life in just pure generosity and give beyond your means and all this kind of stuff, but that's not what the Lord showed us in this text today. And so the Philippians, just so you know, uh, the Philippians had been supporting Paul in his missions even when they didn't have much money to do so. Now back then, now there were people that were going around and, and ministering and doing ministry, but they were doing it for all the wrong reasons. And somewhere along the way, Paul had actually started to receive some really nasty accusations about why he was doing ministry because he was traveling all over the world. And so basically he tells the Macedonian churches when he's writing this, okay, you guys can stop giving me money because uh, all these people are starting to say this and just use what you've been given to me. Go and give it to the poor people that are in Jerusalem. So fast forward to the book of Philippians, as he's writing to them, uh, the church had heard in, in Philippi that he was in prison, and they're just like, we don't care what Paul said. He told us not to support him anymore, but we just got word that he's in prison. Hey, uh, Epaphroditus, take these supplies and go to our brother and minister to him. So as Paul is writing this, he's like, I told you guys that you don't have to support me anymore. And you felt like you didn't have an opportunity to do so. But actually, I'm really glad that you did. And then he goes on to tell them this in verse 11 and 12. 
Now, I want you to understand, I'm not saying this because I'm in need or I need you to send me more things, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether in living in plenty or in want. So Paul has told these Philippians, I have learned the secret to being content. And so today, if you feel like you don't have any contentment in your life, or if you always have this insecurity of not having enough, you have this scarcity mindset, don't worry, because if I'm being honest, and if I'm being transparent today, the latter has been and is a current struggle of mine. So this message all week long has been helping me learn the secret to being content. And that's what we both want you all to know today and to learn today, is that contentment is something that can be learned. Think about it. You and I, we are by nature discontent people. We are always striving for more, trying to achieve more, trying to be more, to do more. It's always more, 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 more. It's never enough. It's not natural for us as humans just to be content. Even Paul is admitting that in verses 11 and 12 of our scripture today. He's saying that he did not used to be content, but through some key things that we are both going to talk about today, Paul, over time, learned the secret, learned how to be content. And I believe with all of my heart, if we will just apply these principles and more importantly, these scriptures to our life today that we talk about, uh, we too over time will learn the secret of being content, whatever the circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in living in plenty or in need. And so as I started reading these verses, verses 10 through 13 uh, this week in preparation for this message, I read it and I was like, there's not a lot of meat here. This is like three or four verses. And he's saying he's got a secret and he ain't saying nothing about the secret in these four <laughs> verses. What are we going to say? And uh, I was sitting down at the floodgates downtown at the river as I was reading this early one morning. And I just sat there for like 15 minutes straight and I just stared at these four verses. And I just read it and reread it and reread it and read it again. And then out of nowhere, Holy Spirit just kind of dropped this little word on me. He said, go back and read verses four through nine. And immediately, uh, he just gave me the entire outline for this message, just like, just like that. And funny enough, um, we were actually going to kind of skip over this a little bit. And we as a preaching staff, I think um, when we were working on the schedule and who was going to be preaching when and what were they going to be preaching? What verses would you be preaching? I think we somehow got kind of mixed up along the way, but I think the Lord knew that we were going to mess up and he still worked it out anyways. And he said, I've still got a word that I want to speak through these verses and here's how we're going to do it. And because uh, we plan and we prepare, but we will always be obedient to whatever the Lord wants to say and how he wants to say it and when he wants to say it. And here's what those verses four through nine read. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And so the title of our message today, if we had to give it one, is the keys of contentment. 
And we're going to give you some keys today that will hopefully unlock the door of contentment in your life. And so if you're ready, church, just say you're ready. 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 (laughs) So first off, if we break this down verse by verse, in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. We've been in this series for about 19 weeks now. And every single time, every single week, this recurring theme of rejoicing has came up. And Paul is saying, I've been saying this throughout the entire letter, but I'm going to say it one more time. Rejoice. But here's the thing. He's not saying rejoice in whatever you want. He's saying to rejoice in the Lord. And I think that's important for all of us to understand in here because we rejoice in all sorts of things that are other than the Lord. People rejoice in their great job their great salary, their great house, their great car, their great stuff, their great kids, their great pets. All of this great stuff is is awesome, but all of those things can be taken away from you. And if that's what you rejoice in and that's what you find your contentment in, that's one thing. But if those things are taken away from you, that also means that your contentment is taken away from you. But, here's the, here's the but, but rejoicing in the Lord reminds us that our contentment is not dependent on external factors, but on our relationship with Him. And what I mean by that is that contentment is found mm. when you and I, we shift our, our focus from our stuff and our circumstances to the unchanging characteristic of God and find joy in who he is. Yes, absolutely. I think Jace made so many great points here. And just to reiterate, we live in this world where everything around us can change in a blink of an eye. But God's character is un changing. He is steady. He is that steady help in time of trouble. And again, if we find joy in these things that can be taken away, that's not lasting contentment. Something that I like to say is perfect joy and perfect peace cannot be found in chasing things that run empty. They're only found in an infinite source. Hmm. I talk about how not, you know, all these things are changing around us all the time, but then there's something that doesn't change very often. And that is, we're always going to find ourselves in need. We're always going to find ourselves struggling from time to time, in pain, in hurt. These are things that are part of this world because of the fall. But you see, you see, God, like I said, he never wanted that to be that way. The problem is though, Chase, we try to numb ourselves. That's one of the first reactions that we have to pain to the struggle is to numb that. I said, Mm. we chase after things which run empty. Sometimes it's literally that cup we go to that will run empty. That night that you think is going to help, that won't last. That television show that you turn on so that you don't have to hear the thoughts in your head, that show is eventually going to end and then what? That new relationship that you found yourself in because you thought that was going to be the key to your contentment, to your happiness, is eventually going to find bumps too. When we choose to chase after things that we think will make us happy, we eventually run empty too. That's right. But like he was saying, and like Lilius was saying, not all of these things are bad. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with finding happiness in family, in nature, finding joy in the passions that God places in your heart. But if you find happiness in the gifts, imagine the lasting contentment you can find in the gift giver. Mm, Put another way, if you find happiness in the creation, imagine the lasting joy you will find in the creator. Okay, we're parents of a toddler, in case you didn't know, because 
We talk about them a lot. And one of the things we love to do as parents, and you can attest to this if you're a parent too, is just dote on our kids, is to love on them, is to give them gifts. I love giving him new stuffed animals. His favorite one right now, he calls it, ah, ah because it's a monkey, and so he's always like, ah, 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 before we leave the door, I'm like, oh, I got your monkey, it's right here. We love to give him these gifts, but as he grows older, something he's gonna learn is that we, as his parents, will always love him infinitely more than that stuffed animal could ever love him. Mm. And that's the same thing with God. God can love you infinitely more than all of these gifts and pursuits and accomplishments and things that you think give you happiness. He loves you so much more than all of these. So again, I ask you, are you drifting about the good, hiding the best? Mm. He says in verse five, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I think Paul gives us another key to contentment right here. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Do y'all remember early on in this series uh, when Paul was writing, he said, it's become clear throughout the entire palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He wasn't harsh with everyone there. He was gentle. He had gentleness because he knew that as he was in chains, he was in Christ. And if you today are in Christ, the Lord is near because the Lord is in you. It doesn't get much nearer than that. It doesn't. Here's what I'm getting at. Paul had contentment in God's presence. So today, if you're trying to, con- you're trying to find contentment in your life, true contentment will flow from finding joy not in circumstances, but in relationship with the unchanging God who is always with us. That's why he's called Emmanuel. His name is Emmanuel, God with mm. us. Absolutely. God is is continually, like we've been saying, ever present. But this verse also indicates that we have the opportunity to invite his presence. Mm -hmm. So let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Other versions say, let your graciousness. Graciousness is the quality of being kind, polite, generous, especially to somebody of a lower social position. So I was thinking of this particular verse, and I was immediately reminded yet again of Lydia. And in case you need a refresher, Lydia was the first to be baptized into the church at Philippi. And she was the woman they called the purple cloth, which seemed to indicate that she had great status, likely a woman of great wealth. And she invited Paul and the first uh, men that came to the city of Philippi into her home. And so, honestly, this might have been frowned upon in the community, this woman of great status inviting these strange men into her home, but she did it because she wanted to be a generous person. In fact, she said, if you believe me to be a woman of God, I want to serve you. I want to open my doors to you. And she, by her graciousness, literally and figuratively opened the doors for God to move in that city. You might be familiar with this common phrase, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Her life was that gospel. Her life was that testament. And we too have the opportunity to live that testament through our lives. Not through our words necessarily, but like Lydia. Listen, like Lydia, we have the opportunity to open the doors for Christ to move in any space and any situation. And we do that, like this verse says, through our kindness, our gentleness, graciousness, generosity. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love 
one another. Jesus didn't say if you preach on a Sunday, if you wear a shirt that says my name on it, if you try to live a perfect life, if you accomplish all these things so people know that God is present in your life. No, he said, by your love. You see, church, we have a powerful opportunity to bring God's presence into any situation through our gentleness and graciousness for one another. So in other words, if we let our gentleness speak, we invite the presence of God. And here's how you invite the presence of God. He gives us one of the most famous uh, Christian verses, Bible verses. Everybody loves to quote this next verse in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the third key that Paul learned and he gave to us in this text today is contentment through prayer. But I got to say this though, as a sidebar, I think people abuse this verse and even church people who mean well take this verse and misapply it to people's situation. And we like to tell people, hey, you must only have anxiety because you don't have enough faith in Mm -hmm. God. This verse tells us, don't be anxious about anything. But just let me tell you, anxiety is a very real thing. I see it in student ministry all of the time. Mm -hmm. Anxiety plagues these kids. Anxiety is rampant even among adults. That's why so many people try to take all these things and drink all this stuff to try to suppress that anxiety that they're feeling. Parents, the effects of comparison due to social media are destroying the contentment of your students and your kids. This perfectionism society, this I have to be perfect mindset that they have, it is attributing to the anxiety that they are experiencing. And parents, I would encourage you to simply ask your student, have a conversation with them and say, do you feel pressure to be perfect? Do you get anxiety from feeling like you have to do everything right, to say everything right, to look right, to say things right, to be perfect? Student, does that, do you have this pressure on you? I promise most students are going to say yes. And so you and I as parents, as as leaders, as Mm -hmm. spiritual parents in these students' lives, we have to teach them and model what this verse means. But how do you do that? How do you model not being anxious? What do you do when anxiety comes? Well, it takes you as a parent being willing to be vulnerable enough to be transparent with your kids. And then first acknowledge that anxiety is normal. So when anxiety is happening and your kids are experiencing it, you say, hey, listen, I know you're feeling anxious right now, but we don't have to lean into that anxiety. We as Christians, we get to lean into something different. We get to lean into someone different. And here's what we do because of that. We pray. And so I'll give you an example. Maybe you're a parent in here and uh, you're dealing with anxiety about your bills. Let's say you're struggling. It's some, you had some extra expenses come up this month and you're just feeling some anxiety about that stuff. And anxiety is going to tell you that uh, your kids are going to think you're a failure. There's no way that you're going to be able to provide for them this month. They're, your kids are going to go hungry. But actually, when that anxiety comes up, this is an opportunity for you to lead them and set an example for your, for your kid. Tell them, hey, Uh, kids, I just want you guys to know, mom and dad, we're actually pretty tight financially right now. We've had some things come up and it's probably going to be a tough few weeks or a tough month. But what I want us to do is I want us to gather as a family right now and we're going to pray and we're going to present our requests to God and we're going to give our anxiety to God because our family believes in God's promises. We believe in God's word. We believe in his provision that God will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. He will always provide everything we need according to his 
his riches and his glory. So we're going to gather up. We're going to pray. And when you link up with your kids and you start praying, don't just pray and get straight to your needs and your wants. God, I need you to do this and I want this and I need this. Paul says, by prayer and, uh, and petition with thanksgiving. Pray with a heart of gratitude. Don't just get straight to your needs. Start to thank him for the things that he's already done. Remind yourself, remind your kids like, man, God, I remember this time when we were praying and our kid was in the hospital and we were just trusting you that you were going to heal them and all this and you came through and you did that miracle. And God, this last time we were dealing with a financial struggle, you, you, you provided everything that we need. We didn't go hungry. And God, we're just believing you and we thank you so much that you've provided in the past and we trust in believe that you are going to provide in the future. So Lord, we just give this anxiety to you that we're experiencing. We give these bills to you, Lord. We just know as we've been tithing and being generous with our time and our our finances, Lord, we trust in you. We trust you throughout this whole process. When we pray like that, when we pray with thanksgiving and gratitude, because gratitude is the fuel that fuels contentment. So when you're having that anxiety and you're having fear, when you express gratitude, the Lord and you're reminding yourself of all those times he didn't let you through, that is when you're going to find contentment. And when you pray like that, Paul says, this is the result in verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's that God's peace, it guards our hearts. And what it does is it filters out anxiety and it develops contentment that surpasses all understanding. And that's contentment through God's peace. Yes, I absolutely love this key. And ultimately, isn't that what contentment is, though? It's peace of mind. This is beyond happiness. So contentment is that inner expression, while joy can be that outward expression of what you feel on the inside, this inner ease. But you can't have that outward expression of joy if at first you don't have that inner expression, that inner contentment, and you can't have that unless you first encounter the God of perfect peace. And today, in case you haven't already been invited to do so, I want to invite you personally to encounter this God of perfect peace. You have the opportunity to meet him here today. He is ever-present in this Room. You know, this verse, I want to read it again. It surpasses all understanding. Mm -hmm. This is something that we like to sit on, and we love this verse so much, and so do I. It's that kind of peace that we ourselves do not even understand. It's that kind of peace someone looks at you and says, Gosh, I, I know that you're going through so much. How can you have so much peace? And you're like, I don't know, but God. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of peace where you look at someone and you say, I know you're in so much pain right now. How can you possibly love on people? And they say, I don't know, but God. You know, something else that this verse says, it says that this peace will guard your hearts and minds. So, so often we sit on that that peace that surpasses all understanding. and, and, And really, honestly, before I get to the hearts and minds part, just imagine if you yourself lived this life in a way where everyone looks at you like, I don't get it. And you go, I don't get it either, but I know who gave it to me. Mm, the right. amount of lives that could be changed because of this peace that you found and you now pour out onto the lives of others because of him and through him. So this peace that guards your hearts and your minds, have you ever set on these and thought, what does this actually mean? You see, when God pinched the dirt, and he created Adam and Eve. 
He looked down and he was pleased. He said, this is good. You know why? Because we were never designed to carry this burden, this weight, this hurt that this world has now because of sin. We were designed to walk side by side with him, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. But his heart is still for us. His heart is still to protect and to guard us. And honestly, he wants to walk beside you in that pain. You see, beloved, I know that that divorce It felt like it took so much from you and your family. But God is sovereign and he still wants to walk beside you. Friend, I know that that thing that happened to you in childhood, it felt like it absolutely destroyed everything you are. But God is a God of restoration and he is here today and he is waiting and willing to restore your joy. I know that that enemy, he creeps into your mind at night trying to tell you lies, but God is a God of peace and he wants to meet you in that exact moment and feed you with truth because that is who he is. The peace of God, you see, it doesn't make troubles of the world disappear. It puts them into perspective of eternity and it reminds us that his heart is to protect and draw us near. So let your contentment in God Bring about his presence. Mm. And his presence bring about contentment. Man. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's telling them, hey, you guys need a perspective shift. <laughs> You've got to change the way that you're thinking. It's the same idea that he used in Romans uh, 12 too, when he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He's telling them, you're discontent because you're focusing on all the wrong things. He's telling them, contentment is found in dwelling on the right things. That's why he says whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. These are the things that you should be thinking about. But that begs the question, what is true? What is noble? What is right? What is pure? What is admirable? What is excellent? What is praiseworthy? Well, class, can we testify for just a second? You know what's true? That God loves me and he sent his son to this earth to show what it would look like to experience heaven on earth. What is noble? That while Jesus was here on this earth, he lived a sinless life and gave up his life for all of mankind so that you and that I could be guilty in the eyes of God no longer. You know what is right? That this world may tell me that my identity is in something outside of my creator, but what is right is that I was created in the image Mm. of my creator. Yeah, this is the part where I want to stand up and start testifying because what is pure? Pure is the man who is without spot and blemish and there is only one man who's ever existed this way. Psalm 62 1 says, truly my soul finds rest in God. He is my rock and my salvation. When we turn our eyes into him, just like that hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. When we turn our eyes to the one who formed us, the one who wants to see our soul restored back into him, that is the purest form of worship. What is lovely? 
Lovely is the heart of Jesus that he has for you and me. And I can't think of anything more exquisitely beautiful than that moment when Jesus walked upon that, walked up that hill carrying that cross for you and me, willing to empty himself in sacrifice for you, for me, so he can be that living example of what it means to live our life as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, looking to him only for our strength. Speaking of strengths, in verse 13, he says another famous quote we all like to use. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. But church, this is not a verse that means you can get your way. This is not a verse that means you can name it and claim it. This verse does not mean that you can deadlift 800 pounds just because the Lord gives you strength to do so. It doesn't mean that. Really, what this verse should read is that I can suffer all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because if you're going to live a life as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, then you're going to have to suffer. Because Paul suffered for Christ. Paul told the Philippians early on, you guys, I thank y'all for sharing in my suffering. And if you, as a Christian, as a believer, you have a call on your life to suffer with Christ for Christ. That is what you and I, we are called to do. And that's a, that's a tough call. That's something that's tough for us to accept. And when Jesus would say these things, that's why some of the followers, they would turn and they would walk away and Jesus would look at his disciples and he would say, what, are you going to leave too? I know that what I said is tough. And, but this is what we are called to do. We'll read First Peter 2 and 21, 20 and 21. But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this. See, it's, it's not my words. It's not my perspective or my assumption. It's God's word. You were called to this because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Because church, the Christian faith, it's not always rainbows and, and butterflies. Jesus said it himself in John 16, I have told you all of these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is why Paul had contentment. This is what he was trying to communicate to the Philippians. This is how he learned the secret of being content. He found it in Christ, in Christ alone, the one who overcame the world. And so can you. That is where you find your contentment. Paul told them this in verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Put all of these things into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I'm telling you, church, if you will just take these things that we've talked about, you will take these scriptures and apply it to your life, you will experience true contentment. But to have contentment and peace, you have to have an encounter with the Prince of Peace. And he's here today. The Lord is near as Paul has said it. And he's calling you just to repent today. He's calling you to repentance, to turn, to fix your eyes on Jesus, and to trust fully in him.